0: Hello, and welcome to The World in 30 Minutes, the podcast on the events, policies, and ideas that will shape the world from the European Council on Foreign Relations. My name is Mark Leonard, and today I am talking to my colleagues Ulrike Franke in Berlin and Susie Dennison in Paris about the event that so many people around Europe have been waiting for for so long, which is the formation or near formation of a new government in Germany. It's, I think, 134 days since Germans went to the ballots and cast their votes for the different parties. And we now have a coalition agreement, which could potentially lead to a grand coalition subject to a referendum by the party members of the SPD. And the newspapers here in Berlin, where I'm sitting... Have been full of speculation about what the Frankfurter Allgemeine Zeitung is calling a Großherzige Koalition, a big-hearted coalition. And lots of speculation about who is up, who's down, who the different ministries are gonna be, is the SPD gonna vote for it. But our topic today is what does it mean for European foreign policy? So why don't we start with the events of the last 24 hours, Ulika, and you can tell us uh, what you have managed to glean through your discussions with uh, movers and shakers here in Berlin, and then um, I'm going to go to Susie to find out how it's being seen in Paris.
1: Excellent. So first off, I'm going to correct your math, because we're all about accuracy, and it has been 136 days since the election. Um, and of course, the reason why we're counting that is because since then, Germany hasn't had a newly elected government, only an acting government. And we are counting the days because, of course, Belgium holds the record of uh, days without an elected government, which is 589. So I think we're still a long way to go to there. But anyway, so now we have a coalition treaty, um, CDU, uh, CSU and SPD. Uh, Have decided to go together into a government, at least potentially. We also have a cabinet of sixteen ministers or sixteen people, a chancellor included. Um, But of course, the thing is, all of this is provisional. So I have the the coalition treaty here in front of me, and there is a big draft uh, sign printed over it. And the reason,
0: seventy something, yeah, one hundred and sixty-seven, something like that. Um, <laughs> 177. I think that be accurate.
1: Now we need to accurate, be accurate with any any number we have. Yes. Uh, so lo- lots of pages in this coalition treaty, but it's it is it is a draft, and the reason for that, of course, is that now the SPD has to go back to its members. Uh, there are 460,000 SPD members that are now being asked to vote on this coalition treaty and they're being asked to vote on whether the SPD should indeed go into a coalition. And that, of course, means that in about uh, 25 days or so, uh, we may actually be back where we started. If the SPD members say no, we may have to start this whole process over again.
0: OK, so we'll, we'll talk a bit more about whether that's likely or not. And I want to go into some of the detail um uh, of the, co- the 177 pages beforehand, which is incidentally called a new start for Europe, which is uh, quite exciting. For I think it's the first ever coalition agreement that has been framed in non-German terms in that way. So um, the way it's being packaged is certainly uh, relevant beyond Berlin's borders. But the other gift of this big-hearted coalition is is about the, the peoples. And it'd be go- good to go through... Um, some of them earlier but I think the headline goals which people have heard about is that um, even before the negotiations started uh, Wolfgang Schäuble was, uh, was going off um, to be president of the parliament which means there is a kind of hope that there'll be a, a slightly more big-hearted presence in the finance ministry and we've heard that Olaf Scholz the mayor of, um, of Hamburg uh, is the candidate to do that Martin Schulz looks like he's going to be um, the next foreign minister, so he's being that was
1: surprising, uh,
0: somewhat, and goes somewhat against what he promised during the the campaign, where he said that he wasn't going to be a minister in an Angela Merkel coalition. Um, And uh, the other big change I think is in the interior ministry, where Thomas de Maizière goes off into the sunset uh, to be replaced by Horst Seehofer the hardline uh, CSU leader who has been uh, thorn in Merkel's side on refugees. Um, only we've since discovered that he's not really hardline because he's been replaced by an even more hardline person in, back in Bavaria.
1: Even more importantly on the interior ministry, yeah. it's not just the interior ministry anymore. We have a new title for that and now it is Inneres und Heimat. And Heimat, Mark, as as a native English speaker and almost German, how do we uh, well, tf- translate as, this best?
0: As a rootless cosmopolitan, I'm not very familiar <laughs> with the, <laughs> the meaning of Heimat, but um,
1: homeland maybe.
0: I think that's uh, that's how it's. Used. I think it's more than homeland, though, because yeah. there's a kind of mystical quality about about the, it's the connection with um, with the kind of uh, with the soil and the blood and other kind. It's quite. Uh, it's not a very progressive. Um, uh, concept usually the way that's used in, in German history.
1: Yeah, and that was that was quite a surprise, this this renaming of <clears> the Interior <throat> Ministry, and of course that was very much catering to, to the IFD or IFD voters.
0: So I, I know you've gender coded the cabinet and have looked in great <laughs> details with all the backgrounds of the different ministers. So I want to come back to to deal with those things later. But maybe we should start with, with how it's seen in Paris, because th- I think the big hope here in Berlin was that this would be Uh, seen in Paris and in other places as a really exciting answer to, to Macron's proposals. And that's why there are lots of references to France scattered in the 177 pages. So, Susie, has it hit home?
2: Well, yeah, I mean, I think the first thing um, that is exciting from uh, from an outside German perspective is that there is a deal. Um, I think that the, the, the relief that was reported on the faces um, of those coming out of the coalition agreements was very much reflected... Um, in Paris, uh, because um, macron um, has been sort of um, steering the, uh, the the European ship alone for the last few months and um, and so I think that the news that um, there is a prospect at least um, of a of a permanent German government soon is is a good thing. Um, And the prospect that that is um, not a minority government, but one on the basis of um, this new agreement um, is important um, because I think that um, the Brexit negotiations are showing um, to other European players just how hard it is to work with a government with a very small um, uh, and fragile minority. So I think the the firmer this deal is, the better from the perspective of of other member states. I think... um, that uh, from a French perspective and and looking specifically at what this means for Macron's European reform proposals, there are three things um, that sort of jump out. The first is um, uh, what it means for the uh, Eurozone um, budget uh, proposals. Um, And there it might be good news that um, the finance ministry has gone to the SPD from a French perspective. Um, Obviously, Macron will need to be careful about how he responds to this because this is, I think, one of the parts of the deal that the conservative wing of the, SD, the, the CDU sorry, and German business generally are sort of more nervous about. Um, but um, the, 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 the sort of the difference between France and Germany in terms of what, um, what, what they want to do with Eurozone reform and specifically the ideas around um, creating Eurozone budget um, is that the French have very much a, a vision of um, uh, investment in member states through this budget to resist um, macroeconomic shocks, um, and, and, and very much a kind of a, a solidarity-focused idea of, um, of, of of how the eurozone should develop, um, which is a bit different from um, the sort of the more traditional um, German view of a kind of growth through structural reform. Um, uh, uh, budget um, uh, for, for the eurozone and so I think that you know potentially this going into the spd direction is um, is a signal um, that Germany may now be um, ready to to give a more sort of positive response to Macron's reform agenda in that area. Cautiously, um, for the reasons I outlined about um, concerns within within Germany, but um, that may be there. I think the second um, point that comes out is around the defence ministry. This is another pillar of, um, uh, sorry, deepening defence cooperation in Europe is another pillar of the reform proposals that Macron set out. And it's hard to say really what, you know, whether this staying with the CDU is, um, is good or bad news because my understanding is... It's not
0: just staying with the CDU, it's staying with Ursula von der Leyen who uh, has yeah. been the defence minister for quite a long time now.
2: You know, My understanding is that the, sort of, the German um, position um, within the context of um, discussions around defence cooperation in Europe um, is not one that's particularly um, split along party lines although Ulrika or others might correct me on that. Um, and I think, um, you know, that we've, we've seen sort of even through the coalition negotiations, the German caretaker government being willing to um, sort of sign up to PESCO in December and its first set of projects um, and, and kind of sign, sign up to the idea of deepened defence cooperation. But on substance, there's still quite big differences between um, the kind of the French uh, defence vision of um, an ambitious European security projection, and then the German vision of a more inclusive cooperation, which is good for integration within the EU project. Um, and so I think this this kind of difference will probably remain. And um, I imagine that with the new coalition, we'll, we'll, we'll kind of see the two different visions rubbing along. And then the third area that sort of really jumps out and but I guess this is not this is this goes beyond France um but for the rest of the EU is that migration as you said has been a really key issue in the coalition talks um and despite what might be the convictions of the parties involved in this new coalitions um the sort of the AFD success context I think is going to is going to be there in the months coming forward um, and so it 's likely that this new coalition is going to be less abrasive towards those mem- other member states who are concerned about overall levels of migration in europe um, and i don 't think we can expect this new uh, coalition under Merkel to be a kind of a thought leader um, around around the field of migration, and indeed um, we might um, you know you were talking about the sort of the changes to the Ministry of interior, um, and I think it, it may be that we see sort of Germany move more towards the centre of um, uh, of the European Union on this area, um, and, and it will become less of an outlier.
0: Racing certainty, not least with Bavarian elections in a few months, that they're, they're, we're not going to see a lot of big-heartedness coming out of the, the interior ministry uh, <laughs> over the next few months. But yeah. do, do you do you agree with that assessment?
1: Yeah, I wanted to react to a few points. I mean, first of all, the money question and the finance ministry to the SPD. Um, it is, of course, it is true that in the coalition treaty, it says we are ready to contribute more to the EU budget. And that, of course, is good news. Um, however, it's also obviously needed given Brexit. So, I mean, it's it's not really as if, as if we were expecting anything else. But this is good news. On the finance ministry, I think we should be careful to think that just because Schäuble isn't, um, isn't finance minister anymore and the finance ministry isn't with the CDU anymore.
0: It will still be with the German.
1: Exactly, <laughs> I wouldn't have put it quite that way, but yes, it will. It will still be um, <laughs> with the German minister. They,
0: didn't the AFD say that Macron should have been invited in? I think it was a joke into the cabinet directly. They, they than said, yeah, yeah, law yeah, law. yeah.
1: No, Alexander Gauland said they, then, they might as well have invited Macron to the government. He was, of course, serious. Anyway, um, the point I was I wanted to make. is And, that and the
0: front page of the um, of the beer title um, says that Merkel has given the, the whole government to the SPD as a, as a present.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, okay. So Merkel has given away the government either to Macron or to the SPD, right? Lots of gifts being given there. Um, but I don't think that if the finance minister is. An SPD minister is indeed Olaf Scholz. It's not as if he's going to go around and give loads of money to the EU. It's true that they want to put an end to the austerity dictate, as they call it. Um, they are more willing to, to give money. But of course, the moment an SPD minister is finance minister, he will also need to care about what's being done you know, with the money in Germany. And any kind of money they don't give to Germany, um, sorry, they give to Europe, they, they won't be able to give to Germany. So really... Giving the finance ministry to the SPD is basically giving them the responsibility to actually think through things and not just you know, claim that they would give more money to the EU if they could. So I think that was think that was a
0: sensible but move. The debate's less about giving money to the EU than about um, maybe spending a bit more on Germany so that you create a bit of demand here and mm. maybe being a bit less uh, rigid in terms of how you uh, police the the austerity rules in other EU member states
1: yeah and I think again I think that that's where this government is somewhat headed this whole line about ending the austerity dictate um, has been thrown around of course only by SPD people but I I think that's that's the kind of general general sense here yeah but we'll 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 see how exactly that looks like
0: should we go into maybe some of the these questions that Susie raised there's this big question about defense spending which I think was was quite a Uh, As Susie said, it was a massive um, division between France and Germany before the elections, but it was also one of the few areas on foreign policy where there was a a debate between the the different parties. Uh, The very first draft of the coalition was quite silent about putting extra money into defence spending. The new draft says that for every, uh, every... I was about to say Deutschmark, every euro that goes into uh, into defence spending, there should also be a euro that goes into diplomacy and into development spending. Yeah. So that's that's good, no?
1: Well <laughs> yeah. I mean yes <laughs> it is, but to me it sounds a lot like they're not going to spend that much on the fence. I mean, I I have to say I did like the bit about Europe in this coalition treaty. Um, why, don't, why don't you tell us I what's think, in the
0: bit about Europe?
1: Well, let's let's. You were asking about the fence. Let's <laughs> okay. quickly go into the fence um, because I I I thought that the bit about you know the Bundeswehr and actual capabilities was very typical German. I mean, that's the thing. The moment you raise you talk about the military, you immediately also talk about other things. Almost, they are almost they feel very frightened of actually just saying, we have a Bundeswehr, they need capabilities, we need to give them the money to have this. Um, So it it, it doesn't surprise me that you have this one euro for defence equals one euro for development deal, which of course is fine if you actually spend the euros. So, So overall... I think I think there are right intentions in there when it comes to security and defense. However, it is as usual very careful. They didn't actually mention by name the two percent NATO goal. Um, they do say that European defense is important and that they support PESCO. But
0: is there a reference to Macron's intervention initiative?
1: And not that I have seen. There is not. There are loads of references to uh, France. Um, more than to any other country. I actually went back and had a look at the old coalition treaty from 2013 and this coalition treaty, and I counted the number of times that different countries were mentioned, because I just thought it was interesting. And France skyrocketed up. I mean, in 2013, France was mentioned three times. In 2017, it leads the, 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 the bag of people with, um, with 12 mentions. So France is very important. Macron isn't mentioned. um, I'm looking
0: at your statistics. Britain's had an even bigger rise. It's it's increased five times the number. uh,
1: Yeah. But it was
0: from a low base.
1: Britain went from one to five. (laughs) And I don't think that that's good news for Britain, because, of course, the main reason why Britain is mentioned is because of Brexit. Um, Since we're on this, just FYI, the US went down, of course, from eight to five, which I also thought was interesting.
0: And Russia went down dramatically from 19 to 10. Canada, I see, has made an interesting thing, coming from zero, null point, to two mentions. So congratulations, Canada.
1: Well, the reason reason why I thought this was interesting was because Canada is mentioned together with the US as important partners um, internationally. And I just thought that that was interesting because it has this hint of... The U.S. isn't really the partner b- helping us with the liberal order these days anymore. So let's put in Canada and talk more about the, kind the of... friendly Americans. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so that's why I'm, I, I put this put this in my in my list. I thought that was fun.
0: OK.
2: I was just going to um, come back on the um, the point that um, uh, that you were talking about earlier about um, the sort of investment um, in security needing to be matched with um, development and and diplomacy. I mean, I think this is potentially interesting for um, European security cooperation, because I and and it could be somewhere where we do see um, the sort of the German debate shaping what's going to happen in Europe, because, you know, as we've said, um, there is the kind of shared ambition between Germany, France, um, in particular, to to do more concrete um, stuff in the field of security cooperation. The Germans, um, traditionally do take a much sort of broader definition of what security is um, this whole sort of comprehensive approach um, uh, and, and so on and, and, and I wonder whether you know the kind of the pressure to be seen with France to be doing something in this area um, will lead to um, lead to sort of more german creativity um, uh, with other European partners in terms of the types of projects that um, that pesco and Card. And so on, get, sort of give give way to um, uh, in the coming months. Um, and so I think uh, you know I, I think that in that sense, um, this could be the sort of uh, the beginning of um, a kind of a different um, German engagement with this discussion um, in the European context.
0: So, Rika, you've studied these 177 pages very, very closely. I can see that your (laughs) copy of the coalition agreement is full of of orange highlighters.
1: The bits that I care about, yes. So
0: why don't you maybe give us a bit more detail on, on what we can expect as a result of all of these negotiations?
1: I mean, it is it is a coalition treaty, right? So there are a lot of we will strive to and we will aim to. So there are very little things that are actually specifically being um, being you know more than proposed. So you know, let's be careful, careful about this. And I, I, I wrote this piece for the website, basically telling. Um, well, France in particular, to maybe not pop the champagne corks yet. because we you said they can have some Prosecco. Yes, they can oh, have pros- yes. some Prosecco. That's true. No um, offence
0: meant to any of our Italian listeners on me. Re- <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, right. So in terms of... Um, in terms of the, the actual content, so first thing to note about the coalition treaty is that it starts with the section on Europe. And as you say, it has Europe in the title, and that really is new. Um, last time, Europe was more towards the back. It just wasn't as central. Now, it starts with a very, very pro-European uh, section, and that's that's good news. Um, it, they talk about that uh, Germany owes Europe endlessly, which I think was quite a strong line. As I mentioned Uh, The coalition partners are ready to contribute more to the EU budget, which is great. They mention France a lot and talk about uh, working with France a lot. And there are several more concrete proposals uh, on the European scale. Things like a European minimum wage, um, efforts to restrict European migration that is aimed to abuse social security systems. So migration into European social security systems. Um, there is even talk about the introduction of a substantial financial tax, a transaction tax at the European level. Uh, Europe should be become a leader in climate protection. Uh, lo- lots of lots of things like that that I think are important. Um, the the development of the ESM into a European Monetary Fund is mentioned. We kind of already knew that, but it's good it's good to see in there. So I think on the European side, this is this is good news, and this is why I think. Um, France in particular, but also other European Union member states should be quite happy with this government if it does indeed come together at it as it is planned now. Um, on the other bit that I studied, which is the international security, um, yeah, international affairs bit, um, I am somewhat less happy. I mean, there are good, good bits and pieces in there, but as I mentioned before, I think there's always this this tendency to never really commit to defense and military stuff and always mention everything else but, which can be slightly annoying. Um, I thought that the international part had a very interesting line that I liked about the US, which was, we want to remain transatlantic but become more European. Uh, So I think there is a clear understanding that... The situation in the US is difficult um, and the relationship with the US is difficult and hence Germany may want to think about European unity even more. Um, also, again, on the U.S., I thought that it was interesting that the coalition treaty mentioned not only talking an, an open and intensive dialogue with the U.S. administration, but also with Congress and with representatives of the U.S. Uh, states. And I thought, you know, that, that's an interesting uh, line in there because, of course, it suggests to kind of go around the... Trump administration and work with those partners that you can still work with. In fact, the
0: headline suggests that as well on the US because it talks about transatlantic partnership as a uh, based around values, which is uh, code for uh, we don't like Trump very much.
1: Yeah, it's it's a direct reference to what Angela Merkel said after Trump was elected, right? We are willing to work with the US on the basis of common values and interests.
0: So amongst all these different ideas that Rika was talking about, Susie, there were talk about... Uh, Ending arms sales to Saudi Arabia and other kind of countries. How, how are those things being taken in France?
2: Um, well, I think um, that uh, to, to date, the the kind of the coalition, the, the detail of the agreement hasn't been digested um, at quite the level that Aurica has managed um, uh, in in the French context. So, um, I think it's I think it's sort of hard to um, uh, to to sort of work through. Um, uh, sort of exactly uh what what's expected from all of this um, going forward but you know the things that um uh, that she she has mentioned that i think will be welcomed um are obviously the sort of the engagement around the big thematic issues um like like climate change and so on um and the um the, the sort of the broader idea of of germany um taking a, a kind of a, a partnering role with with france um in uh, engaging um, on this at a global level and the sort of um i think as well the um the ideas um in the context of the transatlantic relationship of um of germany continuing to um uh to 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 take a kind of um uh be, be a, I guess a guardian um, within uh, the European uh, context of um, the the sort of the European ideology and the way that that's um, played out in um, in diplomatic relations. I think will be um, will be viewed as important as well um, uh, because um, I think as we've talked about that 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 may be something we see less of on the the kind of the intra European level um, now than we did a few years back. Um, but uh, but I think um, uh, on the international scene that that will sort of uh, remain an important expectation um so um so, so yeah um i think uh, there's obviously a lot more to be to be digested um in terms of sort of what what this all means um but i i think i think i think that's um it's it's promising that that level of um, detail on the foreign policy side has been um has been discussed at this stage and you know i think the the other sort of um uh, a big message from the fact that um, Martin Schulz is um, likely to take over the to the, the foreign ministry um, is uh, th- this this sense of um, uh, th- this kind of this broader message that that transcends all of um, these different areas about the kind of the importance of Europe and um, the engagement for Europe as a global player and so on. Um, I think that will be um, a takeaway which will be very welcome from um, from the Elysee.
0: And how are, the, are French people also maybe comparing... Because, you know, you've just had this process in France. Uh, I'm wondering whether people are making comparisons between the uh, the different governments, both how they came into being, but also maybe what they say about France and Germany.
2: I mean, I, yeah, I haven't, um, I haven't come across um, much interesting analysis specifically on that, but I guess there is a, a sort of a real contrast, if you like, in the way that... Um, this has been um, a very, how should I say this, a very sort of German process um, uh, in terms of the development of um, of a deal, um, and it's been um, fairly, uh, fairly lengthy, um, uh, as we outlined at the beginning, and um, it's been very much um, something that's kind of played out within the established party system, um, although we've seen. Um, uh, you know, a, a, a slightly different makeup of, of government um, emerging out of it. And I guess, you know, some surprises in terms of um, where the SPD has come out um, compared to where we thought that they may have come out sort of the day after the um, election results. Um, you know, it, it it is kind of very much still a, a product of, of the German system. Whereas I think, you know, what we saw in, in France last year was... Um, I guess you know it, a lot a lot more radical um, in that it uh, in that uh, Macon um, came from outside the established party system and, and 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 brought people in from different parts of the political spectrum um, but in a way created a, a coalition very differently um, uh ultimately um from what we've been saying this afternoon not necessarily with um uh, very different aims in terms of, of of the European project but I guess um it's it yeah it's two different processes um to to come to this sort of agreement um and I suppose that sort of says something about um the different uh, roles that that France and Germany play within the European project um uh in terms of uh how how they drive it forward um you, you know macron although he has this very kind of pro eu um but reformed eu vision um is you know that that is not something that um, is is kind of broadly shared across the political spectrum in France, and indeed, once you get out of the level of the political elites, um, it's 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 quite a vulnerable position. Whereas I think that what we're seeing with the German coalition talks um, is that this deal has kind of been forged um, and and. and, and out of a, a kind of quite deep seated conviction um, in, in in the European project as um, uh, as a, as a kind of an answer to where, to Germany's current position, um, uh, and, uh, and, and and yeah, in, in that sense, it's it's perhaps kind of um, more more stable um, than um, than the position that Macron's taken.
0: So one of the things... I was just in Paris with you, Susie, last week, and one of the things I noticed is that though French people are very happy that it looks like there's going to be a German government and a pro-European government, they're also starting to hedge uh, against uh, just relying on Germany. And there has been a kind of shift in the mood as they've had to wait and wait, both to think about how they can work with other players, but also to look beyond the intergovernmental wranglings which are going to take place with Germany and others in the next few months to the European elections and to see how they can build a pan-European movement, En Marche en Europe, to to try and get some of the Macron magic uh, to rub off onto the EU institutions in Brussels. But we discussed that in a very interesting podcast a while ago with Shane Vallée, and I think we'll come back to that topic again soon. We've run out of time, but we still haven't found out what the gender balance in the in the 16 men and women uh, that we've uh, heard about. All, and also, we still don't know whether the SPD members are, are going to vote for it. So you've got 20 seconds to, to tell us those two things, Ulrika.
1: Well, Mike, I'm more than happy to talk about the gender balance because we are in 2018 and of the 16 ministers, well, again, including the Chancellor and the, the Chancellor Minister, if you like, uh, eight... Members of this cabinet are men, eight are women. So. Wow. Yeah, indeed. And on the, on the SPD members, of course, I cannot tell you that because I don't know and no one really knows. So we don't know whether the SPD members are going to vote in favour or against.
0: So the whole question, the whole, all of Europe is looking at the 400 and something thousand members...
1: 460,000. And the fun fact is that since the beginning of the year, more than 24,000 new people joined the SPD, specifically in order to be able to vote on this deal. So that's quite interesting.
0: Most of whom, if media reports are right, were there to to vote no.
1: That is indeed likely.
0: I think many SPD people think the choice is between uh, a slow suicide or a rapid death, but it's... um, uh, (laughs) But we'll see very soon and um, we'll have another World in 30 Minutes reflecting on the results of the referendum if if it's worthy of discussion. (laughs) Thank you very much to everyone for listening to us. Um, We normally have a bookshelf segment uh, here. Um, I'm
1: only reading the coalition treaty
2: these days anyway.
0: So we'll put a link to the coalition treaty. Susie, have you read anything exciting about this?
2: Related to this, but I've just read um, two very good books on uh, post-Brexit Britain um, by Ali Smith, um, Autumn and Winter, um, which, uh, uh, which, yeah, are uh, 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 a really interesting sort of dive into the, the, the kind of the social issues around Brexit in the UK today. And
0: I'm going to recommend Ulrika's instant hot take on the coalition agreement on our website, which is called what, Ulrika, I've forgotten it.
1: <laughs> how, how dare you <laughs> <laughs> the
0: content oh, the too soon for champagne toast to the Gokko indeed <laughs> so uh, I couldn't remember the title but, but I did refer to it you see so it obviously got into my, um, into my unconscious if not into my conscious brain
1: even more important so too soon for champagne mm. toast to the Gokko yes
0: We'll put links to all of these things on our website, which is www.ecfr.eu slash podcasts. If you've enjoyed listening to us, please do tweet about it, write about it on your Facebook page or on ours. And above all, run straight to the platform from which you downloaded this thing, uh, whether it's iTunes or SoundCloud or Mixcloud or whatever it was that you used to find this and give us a rating and a review because that's the most helpful way of bringing other people towards us. If you have any comments on this or suggestions for future podcasts, feel free to write to me at mark.leonard at ecfr.eu. But for now, from Ulrike Franke, Susie Dennison and myself, Mark Leonard, it's goodbye. The researcher of our podcast is Jonathan Hakenbrosh and our editor is Katharina Hotel Atsunaro, and our producer is Vibke Evere. <laughs>